0: Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the hot seat as we enter week four, I think it is, of COVID-19 restrictions down here in Australia. And the whole world continues to feel just a little bit off kilter. That's why this week we're not going to mention the pandemic that continues to dominate or almost every aspect of life. And instead, we're shifting gears to talk about art And golf, few sports lend themselves to the visual medium like golf, from the action to the players to the playing fields themselves. The game is rich in colour and diverse landscapes. Shortly, we'll meet Lee Wobransky, an artist whose specialty is golf clubs and courses, and particularly those that host some of the game's most important tournaments. Before we do that though, a special mention this week to listener Joe Hassel who got in touch last week, rang me directly actually, uh, with what can only be described as an out there plan to play all the 2020 men's majors in Australia at the end of this year. Joe knows his plan is not only unlikely to get any traction but definitely won't for all sorts of reasons, but he put an awful lot of time and work into making uh, his proposal. He's proved himself a genuine golf nut and for that he deserves a special mention. So well done Joe genuinely appreciate you getting in touch, and oh, wouldn't it be nice if they could play all those bigger events down here. Later there's in the
1: one year. flaw to his plan, Rod. Yeah, There's a couple, actually. R- relying on you. To- yeah.
0: Well, well yeah, as Joe says in his correspondence, let's not look at all the reasons why it can't happen. Let's look at the reasons why it can. <laughs> Unfortunately, the two lists are different lengths, uh, and the can't is much longer than the can, but I do that, that absolutely give him credit for uh, for coming up with the idea. Now, for those of us in Australia, one of the golf incidents that grabbed the attention this week was former AFL player Sam Newman making his feelings known in no uncertain terms about golf being effectively banned in Victoria due to the virus. Did you see this during the week, Logue? Sam? I did, yeah. Strutting <laughs> around outside the parliament? golf.
1: Not a good look for golf.
0: That's right. I made a video of himself protesting outside the state parliament. He put it on Twitter. Got lots of reaction. But something about that footage really stood
1: out, Adrian. What do you think that that might have been that caught my eye? uh oh, the appalling bag that he had the the pants well the kind of
0: yes he was woefully dressed uh, yeah. Sam, not a good ad for uh, golf in this country, but an excellent ad for our friend of the pod here and sponsors at the Talking Golf Network, thegolfsociety.com.au. That was fairly creative. I see where it?
1: you're going. You that see was pretty elegantly done. <laughs>
0: that was pretty well done, wasn't it? Sam, get in touch with thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash and golf. Only the very best in name brands and tasteful clothing, which will be a step up, my friend. Uh, for the next tantrum that you decide to have. Uh, to take advantage of a very special deal, you get a discount off your first order if you're a Talking Golf listener. Head to golfsociety.com.au forward slash and Golf. The very best in apparel, shoes, and golf ex- accessories to be found on the world wide web link in the show notes if you didn't write it down uh let's get on with today's episode we've already heard his voice but time for a formal introduction it's my regular co-host adrian lag adrian good to have your company looking forward to today's chat which i'll be honest is much more in your field than mine i'm going to be intrigued to hear more about the world where art and golf intersect
1: yeah indeed it's something a bit different for us and uh i've been an admirer of our guests work for you know many years and uh, it's somebody's whose process I'm keen to hear about and understand what what got him into all of this, and uh, uh, and discussing some of the some of the work he's done.
0: Indeed,
1: mm-hmm. and I'll be keen to listen to you grilling really because,
0: as I said art Well and truly outside my purview, but I know it's something that uh, you're particularly interested in. Let's meet our guest then. Since 2008, artist Lee Wobransky has produced the annual posters for the Men's US Open, covering courses from Torrey Pines to Pebble Beach and all of those in between. He's also produced artwork for the Open Championship, the PGA and some of the best known clubs and courses in the world. His posters hang in the homes of players including Rory McIlroy and Justin Rose, and all this from a man who only discovered golf through art and now makes a very unique but fantastic contribution to the game each and every year. Lee, welcome. Thanks for taking some time to chat. What a story you have to tell, I think.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to speak with you gentlemen today. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity.
0: All right, we appreciate you taking some time. As I, I sort of said there, Lee, I'm not so... Got on the art stuff. I can't draw a stick man and have it recognizable.
2: <laughs> I hear that a lot. Yeah, I'm sure I'm
0: sure you do. Particularly when the work you do is as good as as it is. How did you come to golf through art? That is a bizarre way to take up the game. There's a fantastic podcast called Golf Origin Stories, which I've been listening to. Yours would be a brilliant <laughs> one, but but spoil it for them by telling us how that happened.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know how interesting it is, but uh, I went to art school for university. I got out of school and and kind of stumbled into an opportunity doing a black and white. Uh, very traditional architectural rendering type drawings of private estates and small institutions on the main line outside of Philadelphia, where I'm from. And uh, I did that for a couple of years, and uh, it kind of woke up an entrepreneurial aspect of, uh, of myself that I wasn't aware of before that. And uh, I had a partner at the time, and we began to present my portfolio uh, for sort of the private sector to uh, some of the finest clubs in the New York Met section. We figured if there was any club that, you know, only a club of a certain level is going to really be interested in commissioning an artist. Uh, so we sort of started at the top and, and we were lucky enough to get a few meetings and even uh, luckier still. Uh, my first commission uh, was a clubhouse drawing for the famous clubhouse at, uh, at Wingfoot Golf Club. Wow. Uh, so that was really the slightly circuitous route that led me from, you know, art, art student to, uh, you know, to golf artist. wing Foot, as you could imagine, opened a few doors. And within that first year, I'd done uh, probably a half a dozen uh, drawings and, and print reproductions uh, around the game, mostly in the Northeast. And uh, all of a sudden, I was a golf artist. And uh, we've sort of just tried to build it and grow it uh, as best we can uh, ever since yeah
0: you're lucky you don't live in Myrtle Beach because the architectural merits of the clubhouses in Myrtle Beach kind of mm. fade in comparison <laughs> to the area of the world uh, that you're in what's been the response from clubs I imagine for because there are some stunning clubhouses that's the first thing to say that. there are some stunning buildings in that area of the oh, US goodness, and some of the yeah. golf clubhouses aren't there
2: I mean you go to uh, within that first year uh, you know Wingfoot, uh, and Ridgewood were two early clients, both of them with, uh, Clifford C. Wendah clubhouses, same, same architect and same golf course architect at Ridgewood and Wingfoot, uh, and both clubhouses are spectacular. Uh, and then, uh, national golf links, uh, going out there, you know, at the time I was told that I had been the first artist to be commissioned by the club in decades. And, uh, that clubhouse is certainly much more understated architecturally, but, uh, between its positioning and the golf course it sits on uh it's it's one of the very very best so uh yeah in the northeast uh, in particular i feel like there's a there's a grand old tradition of of lovely clubhouses i mean there's a lot of great old clubs that rebuilt clubhouses that aren't so nice uh but uh there certainly are are many many uh it was a nice luxury being based in philadelphia to be able to have you know from from richmond to boston you know you just had hundreds and hundreds of of great old clubs and I did a lot of clubhouse drawings for those first couple of years. And then eventually, you know, things always evolve. That's, it's been a very organic uh, path. And within a couple of years, clients who like my work said, well, you know, I really like this, but you know, we'd love to see you do some painting. Do you do anything in color? And so uh, I said, sure, sure. I can, I can paint. And uh, I was no landscape uh, painter in college, um, but I had always uh, felt like I could, you know, paint or draw just about anything i i I set my mind to so uh that began uh you know a long career of landscape painting mostly around golf courses uh so uh after a few years of those black and whites I, i started doing a lot more watercolor uh paintings for the next two to three years and and then we began doing design work uh, also on a client's request. So uh, we've sort of diversified uh, as we've gone along uh, by the request of our uh, clients and patrons, which has been a really nice way to grow.
0: Perfect business, demand, driving, supply. Last one for me, I'm going to throw you to Adrian, who's the shark in this scenario. <laughs> so that's how you came to all the golf course art. What an introduction to the game, some of the courses that that those clubhouses sit on that you've mentioned already. Oh, my. When, when did the, the connection the get reason made?
2: reason I uh, – I'm you- sorry to interrupt. I was ready to tell the story without being asked. But uh, the way it worked was I was invited that first job. I was invited to play at Winged Foot, and I didn't play golf. And I was at some family gathering chatting with an uncle of mine who was, uh, who was and remains a fanatical golfer. And when he heard that I had gotten invited and it was not taking, uh, taking the invitation, <laughs> he, uh, his head about exploded. Uh, and then I thought, you know, I, I don't like, uh, I don't like missing out on perks. I, maybe I'll check this golf thing out is what I thought at the time. And at the time I was sort of an amateur competitive, uh, pool player, billiard player. Um, so I felt like there was a lot of similarities mm-hmm. to me between pool and golf, uh, in terms of between the ears. Um, golf obviously I think is much more complicated cause there's so many more moving parts and it takes place over an inconsistent and uneven landscape. Um, but, uh, I jumped into golf with both feet. Uh, that's sort of my artistic temperament as well. Uh, I, I thought that if I'm going to be working in golf, I, I really should should really get to know it and, and, and really breathe it and, 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 you know, dive as deep as possible. Uh, playing was the obvious way to proceed. And, uh, like a lot of people, I was promptly bitten by the bug <laughs> and all through my twenties and early thirties, I was single and just loved to practice. There was no better way to end a work day than, you know, head over to the chipping and green and, and, and the driving range, uh, you know, Uh, for an hour or so before sunset. So uh, I read as much history as I could. And anyways, uh, it really, I didn't even realize in the beginning, I knew the reputation of the clients I had early on, but I did not really understand the reputation in a visceral way until I became more immersed and knowledgeable about the game, uh, you know, a year or two later.
0: That pool analogy is a really interesting one because it's it's the other game, I think, where the quality of any given shot, is dictated precisely by the previous one and where it leaves you in relation to the shot that is to come. <clears throat> They've got a really interesting sort of nexus there, don't they? Most sports have a defined start and end, but golf and pool, it's all about where you leave this one so that the next shot becomes easiest, and uh, mm-hmm. that makes a whole lot of sense. Adrian, I'm sure you've got a million questions for Lee because you're much more artistically minded than I am, so I'm going to let you jump in <laughs> and then I'll i talking, throw I'm talking that there. up a bit, aren't you, Rod? Well... Um, yeah. your stick man is much more recognizable as a human than mine is let's put it
2: that way
1: <laughs> well I, i'm interested Lee, in what some of your influences are because your your paintings have this very sort of old-timey like travel poster type of a look mm. is that a style or an aesthetic that you developed yourself or you you came to enjoy over time or you set out to to do things like that or was it A commission request initially and then you thought oh that looks good to them. How did did you get about to arrive at that style?
2: Um, When I began to do posters uh, you know the typical way that I work especially as I mentioned you know I've kind of taken on new endeavors uh, all aesthetically related but you know designing logos on a computer is a very different animal than uh, painting a picture in watercolour on paper. Um, So (sighs) Boy, I kind of lost my train of thought, but in terms of any time I would start a, a new path, I would look backwards to see what I to see what I thought was quality from what had been, come before. And with posters specifically, uh, I just felt like all the posters you've seen for the last few you know decades, really almost since the eighties, uh, have been photo based and then digital photo and very mechanical. And sort of a little bit generic, uh, lacking soul, in my opinion. Uh, and, and I really felt like it was kind of the, po- the, the art of the poster was a bit of a lost art, so to speak. You know, a lot of the posters, even within golf that I was seeing when I was first coming on the scene, they looked more like what you would, you know, call a limited edition print format. It was a, a big landscape image uh, with a little, uh, you know, a couple of lines of, of text in the footer and, and maybe a logo. And uh, you know, in my mind, that's 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 a landscape with some type under it. It's not a poster, you know. Poster is visual communications, and and I look back through the decades, and and I can find examples of posters that inspire me. You know, from probably 1900 to to 1976, uh, from all different countries. Uh, I, I think that they were much more imaginative, um, much bolder, much clearer. Uh, often, not always. Um, but I, I just thought that there were certain fundamental principles that these great old posters employed that newer posters sort of lacked. Uh, so I just began to sort of inform myself in this manner. I was never really interested in trying to create something that looked vintage. I just, you know, I, I sort of throw all of my key inspirations into a bit of a sausage grinder and then... Hopefully what comes out is something that is Lee Wybransky and not, you know, just, uh, you know, an artist seeking to sort of repeat something it's done done before. Um, that said, uh, meandering around a little, uh, my first few posters stylistically were very diverse. Um, some were more contemporary looking than others. They were all hand rendered, but some were a little cleaner and more contemporary. Some were a little bit more throwback looking. And then I had uh, that tremendous success with um, the poster we did at Tory Pines in 2008. And that sort of defined a path a little bit uh, for a while. Um, and so that's sort of been the, 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 the heading I've been sailing, so to speak, uh, for, for a little while.
1: Don't the Tory Pines, or is that the one with the, the, I don't know what you call them, the people in the parachutes going along the cliff there?
2: Yeah, the paraglider up uh, there in the distance. I, just, I thought that was too whimsical uh, uh, an element, honestly. Uh, I came up with it because, um, again, uh, visual communications, I mean, they're completely ever-present out there. You see them every day. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, the tree was – You know, you have Pebble Beach and Cypress Point that both have these very curvy, gnarly trees as their mark. And we were building the poster around this gnarly, uh, you know, coastal pine tree. And we thought that the paraglider really made it distinctly La Jolla and distinctly Torrey Pines as opposed to. You know any of those other places further up the coast, but it's been here. a stunning surprise how many people key in on that little orange bit in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that sold us a lot of posters yeah. just that little guy.
0: I'm just going <laughs> to jump in. People will be listening to this. It's not 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 great for audio, obviously. If you want to uh, have a have a look at what Lee's work looks like as you be follow along, go to Lee leewybransk dot com, dot uh, com, and click on the shop, and you can see they're really sort of. Old school is what springs to mind me. I saw that uh, – I watched an interview that you did with um, – now I've forgotten his name – CNN – O'Donoghue, Shane O'Donoghue. Shane, And you mentioned in that that there was a golden age of posters. So to put people in the picture, you do the promotional posters for the US Open each year and for various other tournaments as well. So these are things that – and people buy them, obviously. They're available in the merchandise tent. But these are the promotional posters that you'll see around uh, ahead of the event coming up. And you mentioned to him that there was a golden age of posters a bit similar to the golden age of golf courses. Can you tease that out for us a little bit?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, it coincides, oddly enough, but the 20s and the 30s uh, were just the height of poster design uh, in Europe and in America. Uh, You had uh, in the 30s specifically, uh, you know, you had the WPA uh, and National Park posters that the New Deal was producing here in the U.S. Um, You had travel posters uh, in Monaco, Italy, France. Uh, And you had British rail posters uh, in the UK. And all these have us, there's some similarities. Maybe maybe the similarities aesthetically are largely due to the fact that they were produced uh, using similar means. Um, But they also are very, very different from one another. Yet it's always kind of struck me that um, there was just so much good work being done at that time at different places around the ocean Uh, And all sort of uniquely its own, you know, the British rail posters and the the U.S. National Park posters, you know, couldn't be more disparate from one another. Uh, But that's what I sort of say when I um, when I mentioned that sausage grinder bit earlier. Like my work is informed by all those. I love all of those things. So different projects might evoke different uh, compositions in me and some one look or another might sort of uh, bubble to the fore. Um, you know there's less obvious references if we want to get esoteric Adrian since you're the artsy one <laughs> but uh, the uh, the uh, cherry blossoms in the 2011 US Open poster at Congressional uh, that was a very deliberate sort of double entendre uh, Washington DC is known for its cherry blossom festival in the spring so it was an element that would speak to the locals which I really like doing when I can uh, but the, the color and the placement of the cherry blossoms in the art was inspired by Japanese woodblock prints. So this is another graphic uh, tradition that I love very much that, you know, it's not as obvious a connection. But, you know, as I mentioned, different things sort of bubble up in different projects.
1: The, you, just speaking of those colors and something that's seasonal, that, you must be completely thrown into disarray this year with uh <laughs> the wow. tournaments, you're gonna have to redo your posters in fall colors but uh I, I guess as well you might be one of the first people to know the location of the pga when it's uh rescheduled uh and confirmed is it uh <laughs> we'll have to uh, we'll have you to know i'm uh
2: i i have no secret information uh <laughs> contrary to what one might think oh, um we'll talk i'm talk finding about. out everything at the same time and uh I'm hoping to roll out my Harding Park uh, artwork next week. As a matter of fact, it's a very different look. That could be a very big seller, given that it's uh, <laughs> <you> <laughs> know,
1: it, the, it, uh, the tournament that may never actually uh, yeah. get hosted there. But we'll see. Anyway,
2: I feel like uh, you could say that about anything right yeah, now, you know? About, that's true. True. Not just that one. Like a limited edition stamp or something. Um, I'd like that. You know, I think it would be a very highly collectible uh, in that, that regard. I don't wish for it, but... Um, it would be an interesting turn of events, I suppose.
1: There's a couple of elements in your posters that I think lend it to this uh, old-timey sort of feel. The, and this is actually going to get a little bit nerdy, but so um, <laughs> warning to the it's listeners what people,
0: It's what the people want, Adrian. That's what they want from you. Get nerdy, my friend.
1: But the uh, look, the typefaces that you use, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. There's typefaces and the fact that watercolor sort of lends itself to this old sort of look. Uh, with you know simple bright colours and and um, you know big sort of plain areas, um, but those type. Of, do you put a lot of research into picking the type that you're going to paint on those posters? And because it is such a dominant feature of of these pieces, where, uh, as you say, it's not like you know the the landscape piece where it's just a tiny bit of writing down the bottom. The the type is really a feature of of the artwork.
2: That's ah, a very keen observation and question, and I appreciate it because, yes, indeed, we put a lot of uh, effort and thought uh, and time into developing uh, the the type solutions for each poster. Um, I'm reminded often when I talk about this as uh, something I learned in middle school about. Uh, so Edgar Allan Poe, the American writer, was the, the first great American short story writer, and he was noted for having said that in a short story, you don't have as much real estate, I'm paraphrasing, (laughs) as you have in a novel. So every word that you use needs to support the point of the story. And that's how I think about the posters. Every detail that's in there needs to lend itself to the same feeling. Uh, It needs to all sort of enhance the theme. Uh, So uh, we, we put a lot of a lot of time as i mentioned uh, researching and sometimes the types chosen are very fairly plain and simplistic uh, actually uh, but sometimes we go more ornate um, but we always try to create a font or work with a font that really suits the image and and brings something more to the table it's not just textual communication it it has a personality and you know obviously the the type elements are painted as well um, so not only does it bring, you know, verbiage, it brings color and line and shape, uh, all to the, uh, all to the artwork. So it's, it's very important. Uh, I'm very much a less is more artist when it comes to the posters. That's one of the other things that I feel separates my work a bit from what I would call traditional golf landscape painting is I'm not interested in, in creating in these projects, a, uh, a photo realistic, you know. Uh, painting of a golf scene. i mean you know, I, I very much pare things down um, to and and really simplify, and you might say idealize things as much as possible, um, and then really just let the colors and the fonts carry the day, uh, and just try and stay out of the way as much as I can. That, that's an interesting
1: point with the compositions that you choose as a as a golfer now i think you can look at these posters and immediately recognize that you're standing on an iconic spot the viewpoint that you're using is an iconic sort of mm. viewpoint unique to that course is that something you struggled with a little bit in the early days when you weren't a golfer as such you were sort of like oh well, that, that just looks pretty over there well i just paint that and 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 you you've mm. got golfers telling you no, no 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 that's not the spot to stand for for our club, you know, you should be right. here. You know, did, did is that something you struggled
2: with a little bit early on or
1: um,
2: what, what was the um, process of? there? There, there, was something to it uh, as I got to learn things, but it wasn't so much of a struggle as I, from the very beginning, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm an artist and I'm there to make a good image. And, you know, when you're walking around, you know, I do a lot of sketching with the camera, so to speak. So, you know, I shoot a lot of versions like of the same basic image that are slightly different with a little bit more bunker in the foreground or a little bit less of this in the background and and what have you. And um, it's just a hmm, just struggle. It's hard to the struggle, I would say, for me, has been trying to reinvent those iconic things and make them bring something new to it and. Um, basically represent something that is already very very familiar um you know when i'm doing work for a club privately they might want to paint even if the eighth hole isn't you know the signature hole they might want to go with it for for one reason or another but with these major championship posters you know what you make needs to be iconic so you're not going to go to Oakmont, for example and uh you know not work the church pews and the clubhouse into the artwork because that's what moves the needle about Oakmont to the general golfing audience. You know, they all know how hard it is and the crazy fast greens and the square greens And now they know that there aren't any trees, but you know, for the last 50 years, if you asked anyone what they, they, they know the church pews and the clubhouse. So my job with that particular project was to try and find a composition that showcases both of these things in a, in a manner that's still appealing and, 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 and balanced and, and not forced or, you know, imbalanced or, or awkward. Uh, so the challenge is always to sort of represent things that are familiar to people. You're absolutely right that, you know, I, I learned very quickly, you just need to be told, like golfers don't really, there are a lot of neat looks out there on the golf course from way off the fairway you know, places you would never, ever want to be as a golfer, but still make for an interesting picture. By and large, those views aren't the ones that we end up working with. You know, they might be interesting to shoot a photo of, but generally speaking, they're not the views. But nor are the views from the middle of the fairway ever very good. I mean, the Nothing place the you want to be. Exactly. You uh, you have that sort of open, empty space that just, you need something in the foreground to create depth in a picture. Uh, so... You know, bunkers, fairway bunkers are, you know, what you commonly what I would commonly work with. I mean, I could handful of pictures come immediately to mind. I mean, the, this 2017 U.S. Open poster at Aaron Hills was like a symphony of fairway bunkers running in the you know, down the down the foreground, like from the foreground to the mid ground. The same with the poster. I had, my first open poster at Lytham, it was like stepping stones or a stairway almost of the fairway bunkers as they were tiered towards the clubhouse down the 18th. Couldn't believe Adam Scott hit into that bunker.
0: I <laughs> did, did you have to? What next? You'll be mentioning '96 and the Masters, and we won't put up with that. Uh, uh, I can assure. You. I think what Adrian's alluding to there, and you're right, Adrian. If you send a professional photographer who's not a golfer, they'll come back with a bunch of images that make no sense to golfers. There's so a beautiful. there's a meeting point in there somewhere, isn't there? They're great photos, but they tell you nothing about golf, and golfers need a golf element for the image to make sense. Is that kind of how it works, do you think?
2: I think that uh, you might look at it as there's, you know, the former thing, uh, you know, these these oddball views that a photographer or maybe a traditional landscape painter might go and find that make no sense to the golfer. Those those would be more uh, of an expression of the wishes or the ideas of the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the latter, like what I do, I make work for an audience. So, uh, and I and I, I say that proudly, and, and I feel like that's part of my, you know what what measures the success of my work is how much it resonates with people. Uh, so you know, understanding the game as thoroughly as I now do has only served to help me create better images. Yeah. Um, uh, so that has definitely been a big part of it.
0: Yeah, so some have players, some are just landscapes. Some have obviously famous players. How do you decide some of those things, Lee? Is it just that's what the creative process is. It's what grabs you at the time. Are those things sometimes dictated by customers? Of course, you do these things for customers. As you've just said, you need to right. produce what it is that is. You've got to sell what they want to buy, don't you?
2: Well, I I, buy, I mean, the, the two quick answers are I, I love to include figures in the work when I can. Uh, but within this sport, uh, for fairly probably obvious reasons, um, none of the governing bodies and clients – are going to showcase one player over another. Um, So that's really the, that's, that's generally speaking the main reason that you don't see a lot of uh, golfers in the foreground uh, in the picture. Certainly why you never see recognizable uh, golfers. Uh, I'm actually more of a figurative artist by bent, meaning that's, I, I, I was a figurative artist uh, in my younger years and that was what my you know early inclination was so it's something that always attracts me uh, to work uh, the, the golfers into the picture and I do it when when it's possible generally when it is possible they're they're made uh, unrecognizable uh, in some way or another um, but that's uh, that's really it I mean I, I'm trying to think of the few times. Usually it's a uh, you know a view from behind yeah, the we'll player the, uh, you we'll know the as they're hitting an open. approach or, or in yeah. full finish or something like that. Uh, I like to incorporate the figure as I said, but that's it's, it's just not appropriate a lot of the time. Yeah, I
1: I, it's something I find with photography that real golfers can completely ruin an image <laughs> the I mean, last thing you want on a golf course is exactly. and they've got terrible equipment and they're poorly dressed and it, you know you really want just a. Generic-looking golfer straight out of central casting to to be a, yeah, a model. Yeah. If you're going to include uh, a golfer like a figure in a in a picture, and, and it's something I find very frustrating with photography is just like having to edit out oh, it actual it, you know, pesky should, golfers. You
0: know. Now's a great time for you, Adrian. Well, go down to Melbourne if you can get in. Do your two <laughs> weeks quarantine. Bad. You have empty golf courses all, just all over the
1: place. The fence. That's, Everything's empty. That's, that's, there, that's there's exactly. a couple of posters, Lee, that uh, I. A couple of my favourites, the Chambers Bay U.S. Open one, that must have. I feel like that must have been quite a difficult commission, where you've got to introduce a course that people don't know, and the composition you've chosen is. I think it's the 16th is the hole yeah. next to the uh, railway line, and you've got a, You've got a train coming along there, and it did turn out that that was kind of the iconic uh, vision from the tournament. Um, with uh, that whole coming into play towards the end there and of course it was a hilarious gif of a guy uh, one of the marshals asking for the train to be quiet <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> but I love that poster but I, I, lo- I want to think I just want to ask about how you go about that just introducing a course that's going to be so high profile but people won't recognize it when they see your poster come out in advance and, and how do you pick a, uh, a composition mm. and, and what was your thinking with that one in particular?
2: You know, uh, to answer the first part of your question, it's very liberating to work with a new course uh, because you don't – the things I said earlier about the church pews, uh, you don't have that. Uh, I mean, Chambers Bay had its, has its signature hole, which, you know, uh, is the 15th, the part 3. That's what was used on most of their early, uh, you know, marketing materials and then a lot of their course photography, et cetera, uh, where that lone, uh, lone tree is. Um, but I didn't really feel uh, any – you know, any real, uh, what's the word leash or anything like that. I felt like, uh, I, I was able to approach that particular project, uh, uh, with a much more open, uh, agenda, so to speak. Uh, my typical approach for every job is the same. Uh, and, and it is to identify the two or three main actors in the movie. Um, there's usually one or two really prominent things uh, often just one, as in the case of Marion. Uh, the wicker basket in that poster was clearly, I mean, that poster was a portrait of the wicker basket, basically. But sometimes it's two or three, and you sometimes you four. Just interrupt
1: you. you did the logo for Marion as well, is that correct?
2: We did work on that logo. Uh, the logo was originally designed, uh, as far as my understanding, is that the golf professional, Bill Kittleman, uh, the head golf pro of Marion, in the 70s and into the 80s, uh, drew that on a on a napkin at some point uh, around 1979. Uh, so uh, we, w- we worked with the club in uh, around 2003 or 2004 uh, doing what we call a logo renovation program, which is where a lot of great clubs have great marks, uh, but they exist in many, many different iterations and slightly different colors, slightly different sizes. So what we specialize in on that side of the industry is helping clubs bring their logo and branding materials up to date technologically and helping to standardize them in terms of ink colors thread colors sizes and, and typefaces so that you can basically help a club build consistency into both their their branding their club identity system as well as their retail materials uh and you know consistency is the cornerstone of good branding as you know just about everybody knows so uh that's the work we did there it was uh it was very much enhancement and updating uh, of what was already, you know, established and fantastic.
1: I thought, I thought I'd give you the, the opportunity to brag about that one. <laughs> uh,
2: I appreciate it. Well, I'm always happy to talk about that one.
0: Give, give us a rundown, Lee, of of what what you so. We know you do the U.S. Open poster each year. and We know that clubs can commission you privately if they want lands, well, course or or uh, clubhouse artwork done. What are your regular I see you've done a lot of the opens. Is that an every year gig or is it an only a sometimes gig? And then where do people see these posters in the lead up to the event? Are they on billboards or in magazines and newspapers or are they on telephone poles around right. the geographic area where the course is? You know, and
2: surprisingly it- none of those places to my chagrin, uh, I would love them to be utilized more in promotion and marketing, but really they live and breathe uh, mostly as a retail product. In the, uh, the state, there's some exceptions that. to that they you know they are sometimes worked into on-site signage and such uh but but uh i have always wished uh that they would be used uh in print and advertising uh i've i've urged that we've done some smaller events over the years where we, we where the work has been more bro- broadly used uh in their uh in their marketing materials for amateur events uh we did that for the western amateur a few times um but by and large, uh, mostly they see them uh, in the merchandise pavilions at the at the event uh, and online. Um, there's not they're not broadly distributed really. Uh, they're very much uh, a special item for the event. They can, you know, they can be purchased at, at, the, at the governing bodies' websites. They can be purchased at our website and online. Absolutely. And uh, that's about it. So it's a, you know fairly. Uh, it's big and small at the same time, yeah. you know. Uh, a big U.S. Open, you'll see a, a couple of hundred thousand people there through a week. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't mind having these posters uh, be seen on billboards. That would certainly satisfy my artistic vanity.
0: Well, there's. A, we'll come back to the, some of the events and the, the ones that you do each year, but there's a real warmth to them as a promotional material, isn't there, Adrian? In some ways, I'm not surprised that someone like the USGA doesn't use the artwork more widely because, of course, it would, I imagine, is a fantastic seller on site. If I went to a US Open, mm. I would want one of these posters. It's a fantastic memento, isn't it? And if you've seen it in magazines Man. and everywhere else, it, it loses some of that specialty. But there's a wonderful warmth, isn't there, to these posters as opposed to a lot of promotion you see these days, which are not surprising, is digital photography.
1: Yeah, well, again, I think it gets back to the inspiration for them, those old travel posters, for example, were very aspirational um like there's one Mm. i really enjoy uh there's an old like north berwick was was a like a summer vacation place i think for a lot of people in scotland and uh there's a beautiful old i think there's several actually north berwick posters Mm -hmm. advertising golf in north berwick like come up here and play golf with with beautifully drawn figures and uh Great colours and it's it. There's this very aspirational feel to it. It's it's an idealised depiction of the subject. Where uh, and I think Lee was alluding to this before. Where it, all the unnecessary elements are removed and it's all cleaned up and beautiful and idealised. And it, mm-hmm. it does a, it does create this feel of like oh yeah I just want to step into that. Mm. And uh, and I, I think that's that's what I see with a lot of Lee's work is is that. Um, cleaned up look where you know there, there might be trees that are actually there in, in real life but you've you've removed them for the composition and um, it, it creates a look which is it's your very,
0: it's your famous course photo adrian with 10 yeah, things taken out to things. improve the okay. overall i've image. got this theory
1: lee you could just point a camera at any direction at most suburban golf courses. And if you remove 10 to 20 things from the <laughs> from the photo, it, it'll be better golf.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? yeah. And, and not trees and things, you know, just course it's just furniture. gardens and course furniture. Exactly. Uh, uh, fixtures and whatnot. Yeah, I see. Concrete
0: paths and all those sorts of uh, stuff. I, 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 asked you, I asked you there, Lee, sorry, That's who you'd work for. And I'll get your thoughts on some of your favourites, your, your own personal favourites and what you enjoy the most. But run us through what you sort of do each year, I'm just having a look on the shop page. Here. There's all sorts of tournaments make use of your services in the US, in particular. Uh, are they a regular thing, or is it a year by year? Sometimes they do. Well, something yeah, we've you. had
2: a we've had a good run. I've been working for the you know most of the major championships uh, for a number of years, and the Ryder Cup. This will be my third Ryder Cup uh, poster coming up. So uh, I've been very fortunate to to carve out uh, a really collectible niche in golf. Uh, and, um, it's been an interesting challenge to make sure that the work, you know, uh, I always, uh, try, I, I try to give the open, I try and give all my clients a, a, a look that's theirs, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, and not have it all. I mean, obviously I think you can recognize my work quickly, uh, whether it's for the open or the U S open. Uh, but I make efforts to, you know, my open work is much more an homage to the UK graphic tradition, uh, very deliberately, um, in order to give it its own feel, um, and, and and so it's it's very uh, much part of my job. I feel to to try and create something that's different uh, from one client to the next. But within golf, uh, we're we're well situated. Uh, we did the AT and Pro Am for the first time this year, which was a thrill. we uh, always trying to add different projects i mean the president's Cup. i've kind of uh had hopes about uh the president's cup down your way uh but um it didn't really make sense uh from the numbers perspective i just can't wait for an opportunity to get down to australia uh for for work uh it, i have this sort of professional pride where certain places i really want to go i won't go until work brings me there so hopefully that'll happen soon because the years are going by <laughs> But in terms of events, uh, this year we, uh, also, I do the, I do the spring and fall meets, uh, for Keeneland, which is the home of thoroughbred horse racing in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, so I do two race posters every year at Keeneland. And this year, uh, we were absolutely thrilled to add the Rolex Monte Carlo masters tennis championship, uh, to our portfolio. Uh, but unfortunately, of course, that event has been canceled for the year. Uh, so we're not able to sing about that one as much as we would like, but, um, uh, that's, uh, we've done a little bit of work in tennis, uh, a little bit of work in horse racing, a few other things here and there, some wine festivals, a little bit of music work, but, uh, golf is really, uh, you know, where we, where we live and breathe and, and certainly where I'm most established and collected.
0: And have you got within there because you've worked the old course and Pebble Beach and and there's not much you haven't seen or done in the world of golf at that very top echelon. Do you have some favourites to visit and play and are they the same as favourites that you might have to actually paint?
2: I certainly have favourites, not all of them so original. Um, uh, I would start by saying that my favourite golf is Seaside Golf. Uh, without question. Uh, I love Lynx Golf. Uh you might get I an love invite back, uh, <laughs> the seaside golf in um in in uh, in the States as well. I'm sorry, what was that?
0: I said you might get an invite back. You're talking our language.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well I, I really feel like uh it's where the game makes the most sense to me. It, it's, it's where everything resonates. It's, you know, maybe it's just because we, you know, we all know the game, we all know the history and you know, that's where it comes from. Uh, but uh, to me, uh, that's where it feels the most natural and elemental. Uh, and and by natural, I mean like you feel the impact of nature much more, um, you know, the wind, the, the sea, everything. Uh, I don't mean to wax on and in, in cliche, but I really do. Uh, that, that's my favorite. And, and stateside, I mean, Fishers Island uh, is one of my very, very favorite places to play. Uh, I love a lot of the old courses that haven't been, uh, you know, improved, quote unquote, over the years. Uh, Nowadays, a lot of them are being restored. So even if they were mucked up with, uh, you know, a lot of them are going back to, you know, to their great roots. Um, So I'm a big fan of this minimalist movement that's been going on for the last 10 or 20 years architecturally. Uh, you this know, maybe nice. starting with Bandon and, and sand Valley and, you know, Tom, you know, all the stuff that we all know about. I, that's, that's my kind of stuff for sure. Um, I'm really easily satisfied. I mean, there's dream places I haven't played for sure. Uh, but, um, uh, as long as a course has, you know, personality and interests, uh, and hopefully aesthetics, uh, you know, I'm happy. Um, but if I, uh, if I could choose, you know, Cypress Point, um I play Fisher's again. North Berwick is top five for me. I just love, love that place. Haven't played it enough. Um and I am very, very keen to come your way. I've just not not been. I mean I'm a, a big fan of that whole naturalist, you know, movement I feel like sort of started or maybe was best embodied in Mackenzie's work. And uh, you know, the Sandbelt work I feel like is by reputation considered master, you know, among his best, like Picasso's blue period or something, you know, just this amazing suite. Uh, so I, I'm eager to expose myself to that and I've never been yet. So uh, I, I can't comment on those, unfortunately, but I hope to be able to soon. Well, Mackenzie himself never really
1: came and saw it at the end either. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, most of his great work, but he, he uh, never saw much of it built. Um, is that
2: right? No, yeah, that's, no, that's right.
1: right. Yeah. Well, Augusta no, National,
0: right. they never paid him. He couldn't afford to go there, so he never saw that. He think, never saw Royal yeah. Melbourne. In fact, he barely yeah. – we, we talked about it in his book, Spirit of St. Andrews. He barely mentioned Royal Melbourne. I think it was, it was three got, like, paragraphs. One paragraph. Yeah, if two, that. Two, oh, it was two, one two, sentence. Maybe. Yeah, one yeah. sentence about Royal yeah. Melbourne because, you know, he'd never – see. I think they'd send him some pictures. And Cypress Point, I don't think he ever saw uh, completed mm, either. Yeah.
1: Did, Speak, speaking of Mackenzie, though, that he is famous, of course, one of – his greatest artworks. And I I think one of the greatest artworks ever produced in golf is his map of the old course.
2: Ah, yeah, that's great.
1: And, uh, that was done around 19, early twenties, I think. And took him months or years, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, it was a a labor of love. Uh, and I think he spent a lot of time in that area around that time. Uh, you yourself have done a course guide for the old course. Tell us a little bit about that because, there's an accuracy that's demanded of a project like that, which I find it must be. Uh, well, how do you go about it? Like, the, there's all sorts of technology you must have to use, and um, it's it's less less opportunity to express and like artistic expression. Although I'm sure you work out a way to to get that in the theming of the of the course guide. Can Can you talk a little bit about that in particular? The old course and and the opportunity you had to do that.
2: Oh. Uh. Gladly. Uh, you know, uh, considering how much I'd educated myself uh, in the game, I I love that. Uh, who, who famously said that you couldn't consider yourself? This was an American speaking, an American tour player saying you couldn't consider yourself a great golfer until you won the Open. And I kind of felt like much the same. I couldn't, you know, it just felt imperative to try and do work uh, for St. Andrews in that in that manner. I mean. That was talk about, you know, your, your grandest professional aspiration. Uh, so to, to not only do do work for St. Andrews, but to have it be a hand-painted course guide of the old course where you get to, you know, really study where it all began. And, you know, obviously there have been many, many, many changes over the years. But I really feel in that instance, I, 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 there's a, there remains a, a, a responsibility, I feel, to deliver aesthetically uh, and I, that book is probably our masterpiece in terms of the course guides that we 've done uh, the art just came out very very well I 'm so pleased with how the art came out but there's an equal if not more important responsibility uh, to be accurate for the golfer uh, for obvious reasons so uh, You know, I I can say this uh, because we don't use like lasering or anything like that when it comes to the major um, movement in the fairways and and, and the green sites. Um, I literally we grid it out and then I would walk out there and I would make uh, in the field pencil drawn sketches about humps and hollows and, and knolls and bunkers and, you know, swales that run this way and that way. And then when I'm doing the green surrounds, I would do the same thing you see in the all the other guys with the little arrows. And I would go out there myself and, and literally do all that work by hand. Uh, the main features of the fairways, like tee to green, those features could be more impressionistic, you might say. Not the bunkers or the bunker placement. But, you know, whether a, a big hump was exactly the most precise shape is not the most important thing if it's on the left side of the rough, you know. So, you, you know, those areas were, were areas that could be a little bit more impressionistic. But the, green, the greens and the green surrounds, you know, I would be as accurate as I can with my notations. And then we submitted all of those uh, notes to, to John Grant, the, uh, the director of golf operations, I believe is his title, for the, for the Lynx Trust there. And, and we get, you know, professional confirmation on, on all of our notes in terms of the movement. Uh, but it's really very much doing 18 intensive portraits. Uh, and if you love golf as much as I do, I mean, it's it was a joy, uh, just a really uh, just a fantastic experience. And that's one that, uh, you know, it's just you couldn't be more proud than we are of a job like that. Is there
1: a version of all of the holes, all sort of joined together in one big map that you've that you did for that, or or for any of those. A, the
2: centerfold incorporates the layout, but you know it, it's greatly simplified, you know, because it needs to be in order to be able to be readable on a passport-sized yardage book centerfold. Uh, so I don't know. I, the one thing I've never done is printed all the holes side by side in some way. Is that yeah. what you meant, or did yeah, you mean yeah, like, made like that. together? Just- yeah, that's yeah a great join idea. it all together. Not, uh, I think yeah. that would be a. I think people would like that.
1: <laughs> that's that's great
2: idea.
1: A, 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 that's a, you have that one for free. Uh, <laughs> there's one particular challenge, as I understand it, with doing course guides. I've heard uh, there's a architect here, Mike Cocking, who's a, a superb artist as well. Also works in watercolors, mm. and uh, he's done a number of course guides, particularly for the courses that he's designed himself, which is a special sort of combination. That's uh, neat. But, I've heard him say it's always a challenge to fit a par five into that passport size (laughs) screen and you can't do it to proportion. You've got to kind of cut the T off or something, you know, there's just some challenge to make it appear to the, to the person holding it there in front of them, that it's the right proportion hole with the distances all working out and everything. But you just simply, you actually don't have room on the piece of paper to fit the full hole in. How do you, how do you go about that?
2: Well, you know, there's there's no magic to that. You either you know make it an odd composition where you you know you have this long hole running down the middle of the frame and a lot of empty space on either side, or else you crop the hole in some way. Um, Generally speaking, we've done the former, uh, which it looks. Most inopportune when it's a long, straight par 5. That's It's sort of the least efficient use of space. If it's a slight dogleg to the par 5, if it bends right or left or a double, then it occupies the width of the frame better. Um, So we just sort of acquiesce to having the occasional you know, page that doesn't look quite as nice as the others from a compositional standpoint. And, you know, artistically, a lot of time, what I'll do to sort of resolve that for the viewer is I'll paint more of the surrounding area. Uh, You know, I'll just paint more of it. I'll I'll paint it more richly uh, just so it feels like, you know, you're looking at something pretty, uh, even though the real area of interest is only the center stripe of the of the frame. Um, Yeah, that is a, a bit awkward. Mostly, you know, you don't see a lot of long straight par fives, fortunately. Yeah. I mean, oh, they usually have a little time. movement. Yeah, no,
0: not, not the <laughs> courses <laughs> yeah, another, you're another, doing. You <laughs> course guide for five. They are out there, but not on the courses that uh, you're doing. Did, you, <laughs> did your interest in architecture come after you started doing the artwork, or was that a golf-induced interest? Does that make sense? What I'm asking there. You've talked yeah, about the courses a, that you like and the architecture. and You obviously, you know, you know Mackenzie and you've studied that and you've seen his maps. So you've got, clearly got an interest in the architecture. Did it stem from the art or did it stem from playing golf?
2: I think that initially it stemmed from um, me. Those architectural drawings were the things I began to look at when I began to paint golf course routings. Uh, which is you know these course layouts like we do uh one of our, our premium artistic offering for private commissions are golf course routings which are these large paintings of an aerial view of the golf course with little vignettes from the ground interspersed around the map and then typically just some scorecard information and the name of the club is rendered and Currently, I'm working on a centennial commission for Saucon Valley in Pennsylvania, for example. A lot of these projects come around centennials or major anniversaries and such. So I started doing these 20-some years ago. And when I began doing those projects, the work, that I began looking at any uh, course map drawings, paintings that I could find to see what was out there and to see what I thought was good and what wasn't good. Uh, you know, again, at the time, most of what you saw were Awful 1990s digital graphics on the back of Myrtle Beach scorecards. That was the course map, you know, and I didn't want to make anything that looked like that. So I was looking uh, elsewhere for sort of, you know, a, a vibe or a feel that I felt resonated. And and what I stumbled into were the great old drawings of Tillinghast and McKenzie and Ross. And I think what is it? What's the Hunter book? Um, the links. The links. The links. Yeah. So that book had I, that was one of my early purchases. And it was purely uh, because of all the artwork, because they had all these different architects had drawings in there. And, and um, our first yardage book was completely influenced by the Donald Ross drawings, where he would have the aerial view down the center frame of the drawing. And then along the right margin, he would have a contour. Do you Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just thought that that was brilliant. First time I'd seen that. So we adopted that when we did our yardage books for Atlantic City Country Club. Uh, so... Uh, I started looking at the architect's drawings and then started reading a little bit of their writings. And quickly it becomes apparent that, you know, what I'm doing is art about art. I mean, they're they're artists too. I know there's an engineering and a science side, a major component to what they do. But uh, the best ones are, are certainly artists with a keen aesthetic sensibility. And I'm going out there and painting. It's like painting or, you know, uh, drawing Michelangelo's David. I mean, you go out and you paint a Tillinghast golf course, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not that hard in the sense that the guy had so much aesthetic sensibility and he he did all the heavy lifting. You just have to find these great views of, of these sculptural greens or what have you. Uh, so, uh, anyways, I'm sorry to get long-winded, but that's really how I I got involved or got, got to reading the architects. And, and then, I guess, just general interest of just wanting to know more. Um, you know, I, I started reading the old ones first because I love old books anyway. I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of those artsy stereotypes. I, I love bookshops and old books. So, uh, you know, The Spirit of St. Andrews and The Links and the C.B. McDonald book and Weatherids and, you know, whatever, any of those things I would look through. And and then I did get a really keenly impressed with these architects and i got to be friendly with gill hands and bobby weed uh, around 2000 or so um and knowing them personally and watching them make work you know the first time i met gill Hans in person was when he was building applebrook ne- near philadelphia and it was just dirt and he and his team were out there uh pushing it around and uh you know he wasn't the uh the young nice, legend that he is now uh, but, uh, just as nice a guy as ever, of course. But, um, uh, anyway, I, they, these guys were thoughtful, creative, uh, artists, I thought. So I I was really sort of, I felt like a certain kinship and I was quite impressed with their work because, you know, I frankly would love to do that one day. I would love to, to design a golf course or work on the design of a golf course, just because I think I would, I would do a neat job of it. Um, but I'm so sort of, A little bit impressed, well, jealous and and impressed with, you know, that their canvases are are vast and they they can really just to be able to lead. uh, One of the things I love about great courses is is like a symphony, how it picks, how it ebbs and flows. It picks up and falls away. Uh, You know, you create drama through certain progressions of the landscape. I just think all that is just tremendously creative. And I'm I'm really impressed when it's done well it's
1: no surprise really is it that some great golf architects are a good artists because mm. it's a form of visual communication and and even the sketching that they're doing in advance there there's a purpose to those diagrams it's trying to sell a concept to people who might not really understand what they're seeing and that's a lot of graphic design and and artwork and it's actually solving a problem solving a visual communication problem or trying to trying to help somebody understand a concept that they're not familiar with or that is new to them and uh I, there is a lot of crossover there it's um uh, a similar sort of problem that you're trying to solve even with your posters you know it's it's a form of visual communication it's not just creating something pretty it's it's actually a uh, graphic design with a purpose um solving a problem you know to inform people about a about an event or something is that
2: yeah, I uh, think Rod's right. I think you have a very keen eye, uh, Adrian. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you must read. No, his- you're
2: absolutely right. Um, in fact, I'm going to answer. I, I neglected to answer your part of your Chambers Bay question earlier, and I can sort of tie that oh, in. I interrupted you. Uh, it's a. Uh, it very much is. I I very much view it as a problem solving uh, process of visual communication. I mean, that's about as clearly and concisely as you could put it. And when I approach a subject, when I approach Chambers Bay, for example, my first job is to identify the various pieces of the puzzle. And then I try and put the puzzle pieces together in a way that hopefully is striking and appealing. So at Chambers Bay, um, what I was most struck by, they really liked the lone tree. I mean, I wasn't I didn't have to necessarily include that lone tree, but it it being a recognizable sort of iconic thing there already, it seemed like a good idea to work it in if possible. So I would call that like a, you know, a supporting character or a tertiary player in in the piece. Um, But I thought the bunkering is spectacular there. Uh, The railway and the sea or the sound certainly had to be included. So those three things I felt like were, Imperative, and I really once you start looking at including a railway, you quickly determine that you need to have a diagonal, because otherwise it's just a stripe across, a horizontal stripe across the picture, which isn't interesting. It do, you know it doesn't do it justice. It doesn't even if there's a train on there, it's, it's no longer a main character. Now it's just sort of you know a lesser version of itself, so to speak. So. Once I determined that in my head, um, I was I began looking for different views uh, that allowed the railway to sort of move diagonally through the composition. Um, a funny thing about Chambers Bay was I actually I did more that and Whistling Straits, boy, I did those around the sa- same year. Yeah, I did Whistling and Chambers in the same year, and uh, I was really struck because both of the field work days. You know, I was out there by myself and sort of you know, mid mid autumn, I think. And uh it was just cool enough that they weren't super busy anymore. And I I I I feel like I climbed every single hump uh and, and artificial dune out there, you know, uh looking for say, it's different so hard to get a high perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Know. That was that's what I discovered on sixteen anyway, it was You know, uh, getting behind the green, I realized that there was a very high dune behind the 16th green, and I I climbed all the way up there, and it kind of was like a little bit of an aha moment. Um, I mean, I love that hole anyway because it's, it's just... So intimidating as a golfer. Um, But uh, it being right next to the sea and OB all the way up the right side, me hitting it right, like most people. Um, But you sit up there with a little bit of elevation. You can look down into the bunkers, which makes them even more dramatic. The elevation lets you see more of the uh, water which is great. Anytime I can bring water in, I'll bring water in because it's always a benefit to the picture. And then I did take some artistic license with that one. Now that I think about it, I, I moved to the Olympic Olympia Olympia. Sorry. My, uh, my knowledge is failing me. The, I think the Olympic mountains are Olympia mountains, uh, were just to the left of my frame, so to speak. So I literally just moved the mountains slightly into the picture on the left side, because you can't have snow snow capped mountains, you know, in the background of the U.S. Open and not include them somehow. Mm-hmm. And then I included a bridge that was slightly out of frame on the right, and I moved that into the frame. And um, a bird as well. There must be a
1: bit of a story behind this bird that's there. You know,
2: I think the bird lived in the uh, <laughs> lived in that tree in the tree. I think yeah. that, that was the deal. And uh, but you mentioned something along this earlier. I can't remember exactly what it was, Adrian, but. It made me think of one of my common uh, platitudes that I say when I'm working the events is uh, when someone comes up to me and says, you know, you really can't see uh, this from there. And I always say the same thing, you know, never ruin a good story with the facts. You know, that's 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 why I'm grateful to be an artist and not a photographer, um, because I get to do things like that, you know, and uh, I'm always going to to make little changes. I mean, you, you can't make anything cartoonish because people don't respond well to that in golf but you can take certain liberties to to make the picture more iconic more idealized more dramatic and uh you know my olympic poster for 2012 you could actually see the golden gate bridge from where i was when i when i you know shot that photo that source photo but it's much much smaller so we we blow it up to you know because san franciscoans and everyone loves the golden gate bridge so give the people what they want a little bit
1: I've just got one more nerdy question and then I think Rod can uh, wrap it up but I imagine you like to do most of your work where you start off with a with a sketch on site or you might even do a quick watercolor or something on plain air as they say but it, in, in order to do that you have to find a place where you can actually stand do you ever mm-hmm. find yourself up a tree or on a ladder or something and I imagine when you're you're taking stuff back to the studio you're you're working from photography and all sorts of reference material do you do you wish you could use drone stuff more or to to create some of these compositions or are are you happy with that constraint that you've got that you that you like to just be on the ground and you've got to find a spot that works with a bit of an elevation change to to bring those elements into your into your compositions Mm
2: -hmm. you know a ladder is essential um I've done a couple of birds I've used over the years, uh, but I didn't shoot the drone footage myself. Um, I, as my, I'm as impressed and sort of uh, you know enamored with all the drone photography you see now uh, as the next person. But I feel like it's already a little bit generic. Um, I don't have anything against it in, in my work. It's just I feel like... I like creating work that you feel like you could step into, and when you start to get views that you know aren't that, uh, I somehow that that's that's sort of one of my more subtle uh, intentions with the art is to, is to make you want to be there, is to pull like you know that kind to place you in it a little bit, and and, and so I, I don't think the drone type of thing speaks to me quite as much, uh, as an artist, uh, for that reason. Um, I also think it's a little bit more, well, I don't know. I mean, every rule can be broken. I had a great time painting, uh, the bird's eye view at Muirfield, you know, and, and there's a neat old tradition of, uh, of those aerial cityscapes from centuries ago. Uh, but by and large, uh, I, I I like working. I, I work with a limited palette as well. Uh, as you've probably noticed, you know, I, I don't use tons and tons of colors. I, I, I like working within limitations, I suppose, even if I, uh, you know, create them myself. Uh, so probably to give you a short answer, I, I think I do like for a number of reasons. I like working closer to the ground. It's it's mostly midday in your in your paintings as well. <laughs> I mean, cause well, I'm that's because that's largely because that's when they that's and... when they take place. You know, yeah. I, it yeah. I, it just I mean, there's no rule that it needs to be that way. I mean, Shinnecock, I just painted a sunset scene, and uh, in, in, in eighteen um, at the AT and T this year, I painted a hailstorm. Uh, but you know, you're basically every tournament. What matters most is Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's not Sunday night, so that's why they're mostly afternoon scenes. I've
1: got to I find this Muirfield one because that the little crisscrossing of paths in Muirfield <laughs> is,
0: is intriguing, isn't it? That's really right. beautiful. Yeah. While you do that, Adrian, I've got to ask yeah. about the twenty ten Pebble Beach poster, Lee, mm. which actually has a ball sitting pin high, about six feet to the left of the pin, as you would play it to the right of the pin, as we look at it. I'm assuming was that there, or did you? Do you sometimes sneak a ball in there? For <laughs> that
2: was my shot.
0: Is that right?
2: <laughs> no, I uh, I just no, I it wasn't there. I just uh, that's a nice. We always putt. try and imbue a little bit of uh, something. I mean, sometimes again, I feel like the ball makes you brings you in a little bit mm, big uh, rather than just not having it. It doesn't always, but in that case, for mm. for some reason, I liked it better with the ball than without. Um, But it it wasn't there. Um, The seals weren't there. The sailboats weren't there uh, in that picture. I just – the tree was there, but it's not anymore.
0: (laughs) Mm, That's right. I just The reason it it sticks out to me, probably for a lot of golf people, that is a horrific putt. From there, you'd rather be 15 <laughs> feet the other side of the hole <laughs> than that five feet there. So, there's a there's very much a golf element to it. Did you find your mule
1: field aerial, Adrian? Uh, I didn't uh, I'm gonna have to look for that in my yeah. own time. They're though. famous for the, the foursomes paths, aren't they? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that's what they're called. And it, it, that's a, that's one from ground level. You just you can't see You wouldn't see it. No, that's right.
2: Yeah, well, that was the that was the issue as I recall. As a matter of fact, was um, working with the client, they wanted to have some. They wanted to indicate somehow the proximity to the sea. And the only way to do it was to get up in the air. And so we began looking uh, at that option. and, and, And that's, you know, that's, of course, what we ended up going with
0: fabulous stuff lee we could talk to you for forever i feel like you've almost pitched for a co-hosting position here you've been
2: complete <laughs> lockstep well, agreement again, with everything that we think.
0: think so if you if the painting doesn't work out come and work for free like we do and be a co-host of the <laughs> good, good golf podcast you'd be more than welcome it's been I feel like
2: that's what we're all doing right now <laughs> yeah well
0: kind of, if you're working at all that's right it's uh you're lucky to be doing so it's been fantastic to chat to you what a what a fabulous contribution you make to the world of golf. And I do urge people go and have a look and consider buying uh, some of Lee's artwork. It is fantastic. I would love to have a room with just all of these hanging. I think that would just be amazing, but I'm going to have a look through and I'll see if I can find something in particular that I like. And you must come to Australia Lee. Um, we've got some,
2: Oh, I'll look you up. Believe me, I will get there. uh, It shan't be long, but, uh, I certainly will look you up.
0: We need your view of the sandbelt in particular, and Barnboogle and King Island, and some of those other places. Where you would oh, uh, would be amazing to see the dreams come together. Yeah, but
2: there I would go paint. I feel like the more remote the places are, I, I love painting on site. It just—it's very difficult to do that, uh, you know. If it's a busy golf course in high season, uh, but uh, you know those places, everything I see is just jaw dropping. So we'll get there one day. Do you, do you gentlemen travel to the uh, championships uh, here in the states or to the Open?
1: Uh, Not, I don't. I, I, Adrian does. I've got, I've got the opportunity to go to the Open sometimes, and I'm, yeah, and occasionally get to go to the US, but. No prospect of that. <laughs> it's going to be uh, a while.
2: Uh, hopefully you should make plans to come to the 150th at St. Andrews in a couple of years, yep. and uh, and we can do this again in person. That would be
0: fantastic. Yep. Thanks for See taking it. the time today, mate. Look forward to seeing you down here one day.
2: It's been a real pleasure, guys. Thank you for the wonderful questions and, uh, and the keen conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, it was Thanks, fantastic
0: lady. from this side as well. And Adrian, thank you for bringing your nerdiness to the fore and uh, impressingly with just how deep you can dive into the <laughs> weird and wonderful
1: that's all right. No, I really enjoyed it. At least somebody I've wanted to speak to for a long time, and uh, it was uh, really fascinating to get a bit of insight into how it goes about his work. Indeed it was, and even I've learned
0: something, so that's nice because I didn't know a lot of the stuff that uh, you guys talked about, so that was wonderful stuff. That's episode 28 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, done and dusted. We will, of course, be back to do it all again next week with episode 29 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.